0: Welcome to Punta Vista Socialist Club, episode 38. Uh, I'm Andrew, and we're back. We're back for volume two of Union Chat. Uh, I'm here on this beautiful International Women's Day with our beautiful international woman, Lucy.
1: I'm, I'm not international, but I am here. Thank you for uh, putting me, finally putting me first.
0: Well, it's, look, it's happened before, but you're, you're right up there on the pedestal today. Um, and then when it's not international women's day i'm going to knock you right off there again uh, but for now enjoy it
1: i am enjoying it thank you thank you Andrew. good
0: uh we also have our, our beloved sweet theo hey it's
2: um hey, it's, it's very late it's 9:40 p.m. but i'm oh my i'm doing it i'm i'm staying up uh for you the fans
1: speaking of chicks speaking of bitches <laughs> <laughs> Excuse me, I'm sorry. Uh, I, was, I, was, I was very mean, <laughs> mean. <laughs> she's,
0: doing a, she's doing a. bit. She's I'm doing, doing a,
1: bit. a bit. I'm doing a bit. I don't. I don't mean it. I'm sorry to you. Uh, it's
0: fine. <laughs> and joining us again, and probably probably gunning for um uh Matt Brady's crown as uh, most appearances on the show guest, uh, we have returning guest Tim. Hi Tim. Hi. How are you? Thanks for having me on. Uh, well, thank you for being here. Thanks for coming back.
3: You're welcome. I just want to add uh, before uh, you know anyone puts this out there, I have a lot of respect for Matt Brady. Um, he also lives in Newcastle, where I work every day. So I don't want to get in trouble if Matt's lurking outside my office window. Um, a lot of respect for you, Matt. You keep doing what you're doing. I love the content. Just keep it coming.
0: Yeah, you don't. Uh, you don't want to say anything to to tick him off and get sent one of those uh, pictures of him with a face app smile holding a knife. Absolutely but not. You,
2: but you would be able to like track his every movement. Like you wouldn't get surprised by him because you'd be able to get all the like geo tags off every foot pick he takes <laughs> and just <like laughs> plot it on uh, Google Maps. I feel like you've like you've
3: like Xavier protocol this, and the rest of us are just kind of running around going like uh, waiting for Matt to murder us. And you're like, oh, I've clearly got a plan for this. Uh, that's you know, have right. figured out how be everyone on the to murder pick. me. <laughs>
0: Um, so, Tim uh, Tim was on a couple of weeks ago, and we talked about, talked about unions, talked about the union movement, talked about a lot of that kind of stuff. Um, we took questions from listeners. Uh, there was a lot of good stuff there. People, um, people said they really got a lot out of it, um, that, that it sort of answered some questions that they had, um, answered some questions they didn't know they had. Uh, and we've also had a whole bunch of people reach out to us after that show and let us know that um, that was the little little kick in the pants that they needed to go out and join the union, which was yeah. really nice.
3: Yeah. Cool. I'm just so proud of you all. Well done. Everyone who, who chipped in and, and you know signed up, that's so good. So well done to you guys. It really is, you know, it, it, every little bit helps. And, and by joining the union, you really are adding your strength to the fight. And, you know, thank you so much, everyone who did that
0: yeah it's extremely cool uh yes, it is always nice to actually see see things happening out in the real world uh not our horrible world of online uh so we didn't we didn't quite get through everybody's questions there were you know multiple questions about some of the same things that we didn't quite quite get to touch on in that hour um so yeah, we got Tim to come back uh we got more questions got all that kind of stuff um do you, do you need to do any disclaimers again, Tim? Uh, yeah, I probably should just
3: state for the record that these are all my personal opinions on this podcast and they don't represent that of the union that I'm employed by. And uh, if anyone is under any confusion, I'm not an official spokesperson for the union here in an extremely personal capacity. And uh, thank you very much for that.
0: Oh, he was—he was winking the whole time he did that. Was I
3: was. <laughs> I'm winking into the microphone, but I can't see the sound bars picking it up.
0: <laughs> the sound bars don't move when I when I do my air quotes. Well, you got to get a better microphone. Clearly, it's true. Um, so, oh, let's let's kick it off with a non-question from our dear sweet wife of the show, uh, Tal Waterhouse. Um, who says, no question at this time, uh, just stopping by to say g'day and thanks for all the great content on point and clickbait, Tim. Oh, thanks Tal. Appreciate Aww. it
3: very much. You're a great guy.
0: Uh, do you want to Do want tell people what point and clickbait is? No. Okay.
3: No, I will. Um, it's a satirical <laughs> uh, video game website um, where I post extremely true and real articles about video games. I encourage you all to read it. I also encourage you all to tell me if you like it. And if you don't like it, keep it to
0: yourself. Hmm. Um, I enjoyed the Far Cry article the other day, actually. Far oh, cry. thank five. you. And thank cool. you very yeah. much. You're Check also a good whatever, person. Folks. Oh, thank you. Uh, so, oh, we've got a little question here about um, about the, the action that's been going on uh, overseas in the States. Um, for anybody who hasn't been following along with that one, uh, teachers in West Virginia um, have been doing a lot of grassroots organizing around uh, striking for better pay uh it's been very good to watch um and yeah i suppose um what's what's sort of notable about that one as well is that you know some people might look at it and say oh these these teachers who already get holidays and that kind of thing striking for even more money but um but the reality is that they they are effectively striking to try and keep themselves out of poverty at this point. Very much uh, the, so. They're,
3: they're striking in a very real way to keep the, union, the concept of unionism alive in, in West
0: hmm. Virginia and, and in a very real way across the US. Um, yeah, so it's a huge deal. It seems like it's been uh, inspiring some similar movements in other states, which is great to see. Um, yeah, if you get into some of the details of it, it's, it's terrible. It's uh, uh, about... Uh, I think they were offered a really minor pay rise, um, except that, as I said, they couldn't accept it because the pay rise um, equaled out to, I think it was like, you know, an additional sort of $80 a fortnight, but their health insurance was going up by $300 a month. Yep. 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 Very similar stuff, you know, to to Australia where employers
3: say, you know, here's a 1% pay rise. And we say, actually, the cost of living went up 2.1%. And they say, Mm. do you want your pay rise or not? we say no um but of course if you if if your employer offers you a pay rise of one percent and the cost of living went up two percent you're actually losing money so of course you should go on strike and uh, look you know i i I, there are two things i would say about the west virginia teacher strike one is that it fucking owns um it's so cool to see all these teachers going on strike i think all all 50 something counties are on strike now uh, which is incredible um and it's incredible because they actually did it against the wishes of the union leadership, which is actually super cool. You'd mm. think because I'm a union officer, I'd be like, no, that sucks. It actually owns. Um, and the reason it owns is because you want workers to be doing that. You want workers to be driving the decisions. You want the people who are involved at, at, at the coalface on the floor, they should be making all the decisions. And if they say that pay isn't good enough, then it's not good enough. End of story. You know. Um, and I'm not going to bag out the teachers union leadership or whatever. I don't know enough about them, but it is very cool to me um, that, that these teachers said no and that's actually not good enough and the union leadership had to scramble to catch up um, and and to kind of retrospectively say oh yeah striking good good idea we should do that <laughs> um, and that's so cool um, the second thing uh, the second thing which I think is probably even even cooler is that it really demonstrates that the spirit of of, you know, grassroots organizing and worker activism is alive and well in a time when it's probably never been more under attack. Um, it, it's really, you know, the fact that all the counties are now striking really just just highlights to me, you know, and hopefully to others, that, that the real power in society still lies with the working class, you know? Like the working class can still say fuck you and walk away and the whole country shuts down. Um, at least on, on in this case on an educational level, like good like getting your kids to school in West Virginia. Um, and, and, you know, you can imagine, you can extrapolate from that that this can easily be applied to any other part of society. If we don't like it, we, we can shut it down. We have that power, but we're just conditioned not to use it. And, I- and so it's really inspiring to me that, that these teachers have just done that um, and that they've... Just done it essentially off their own back and just decided this is the right thing to do and they're all supporting each other and there is incredible solidarity there and energy and i'm just really you know hats off to them if any of them are listening for some reason i I salute you (laughs) fucking you're a legend
2: can i can i just take that point of like you know if if there's something about society that's unjust or, or what have you you know this may be the only way to kind of get it get it changed and like so I was listening to the interview with the Chapo guys with with one of the um, uh, one of the strike leaders, um, and it was really interesting. And they had a very holistic approach to um, what the strike was, the reasons reasons why they're doing it, and the reasons why it came about. And you know, um, I think they said West Virginia. You know, on average, that the teachers are, are, are amongst the, the poorest um, in the country um but they also said that uh this is um you know almost exactly balanced against um very recent um tax breaks that they gave to the oil and gas industry even though they didn't need them um they weren't going anywhere but they were still giving um extended the the um uh tax breaks that they were that they were giving to to them and the, and they were basically saying no what you need to pay us, and you need to go and reverse those tax breaks, and do and pay us directly with with that money because that's that's what the right thing to do is. And I kind of look so at the good. situation we have in in Australia, where we've we've watched um, the carbon tax um, be uh, shot down, uh, a thing by um, all accounts that was um, doing an okay job to reduce emissions as well as provide provide revenue. Um, and, and, you know, it's probably just one example, but, but I think a lot of those sort of, sorts of things are going to start to add up um, where we are just letting the resources industries walk all over us. And do you see more space in Australia for that kind of action?
3: 100%, 100%. And, and um, I, I note with, with delight that um, former ACTU boss uh, Tim Lyons actually released a, a paper today as part of the, the pro-capital uh, Policy Institute yeah, basically saying in in abridged version, break the fucking law. You know, if if you're not getting what you want, break the fucking law until you get it. And you know that's like that's the sort of thing that obviously makes like monocles pop off everywhere. But that's what the union movement has been doing for centuries. Um, and we've you know in Australia at least we've kind of forgotten how to do that. And I've seen Sally McManus as well, you know, I've got a lot of time for Sally like advocating exactly the same thing, saying, you know, if laws are unjust, then it's okay to break them. Um, and there's no better description of Australia's workplace laws than the word unjust. Um and, and so i so I'm very heartened by that and I see a great parallel to, to what's going on in Australia and I would love I would love to see more illegal strikes. You know, I would love to see more illegal industrial action. You know, I, I can't tell you how excited it makes me uh t- the idea of just you know everyone just walking off the job and saying "Nah, no, sorry we're not we're not doing it anymore and like the, you know that's there's a great chapter in um in capitalist realism um which i think is free if anyone hasn't read it but uh, it's called what if we held a protest and everybody came Um, and it's just a really succinct kind of explanation of like how amazing and powerful it would be if just you actually had a protest and everyone showed up and society just shut down, you know, and you can just imagine how quickly we would get changes if we started doing that sort of thing on mass and we've done it in the past. And I certainly believe we can do it again and I'm really excited by what um, you know, by, by what they're doing in West Virginia, and, and you know, by what the, the noises we're hearing from the union movement here in Australia. The union movement leadership, who would never have proposed these things ten, twenty years ago, um, now they're out there saying, "Hey, maybe we should break the law." That's, that's incredible, that's amazing.
0: Well, one of the points that um, that Tim was making in an interview that I saw with him today was that um he he wasn't saying exactly what Sally McManus was saying in the context of, you know, if laws are unjust unjust you're you're sort of obliged to break them. So much as he was saying that the way that um industrial uh labour laws and stuff have been changed in Australia over the last twenty ten or twenty years has effectively made it impossible to legally take Absolutely. that. Kind of Absolutely and the um the the strikes over you know the transit strikes in hmm. Sydney were a good example yeah. of that where they said hey this is what we're going to do we are letting you know and everything and fair work came in and said ah oh, actually you're not allowed to yep
3: we've
0: you know we've we've ruled that if you strike it'll be too much of a disruption It'll be too enough. effective almost as though almost as though that's the entire fucking point of a strike um, but yeah essentially that that those those laws have had so much stuff added to them to, to just cripple um, the, the legality of of taking yeah. that sort of action. They have. I don't think a lot of people are really aware of how hard it is to strike
3: in Australia. And, and look, I wasn't until a couple of years ago when I first joined. Like, I had no idea. I assumed because, you know, if you read the paper, the narrative is very much that you can just go on strike whenever you want. Um, and, and, you know, they bloody well do these union thugs, but the reality is that the number of, of man hours lost, sorry, women hours, it's international women's day. (laughs) Um, the number of women hours lost to strikes has declined like catastrophically every year Mm. for like the last 20 years in Australia to the point where it's basically nothing at the moment. And, you know, that's because it is so abysmally hard to strike in Australia Um, Just to give you a quick overview, uh, you can only strike during a bargaining period and you can only strike if you can demonstrate that you've been trying to bargain with your employer and you haven't got anywhere. And you can only strike then if you apply to the Fair Work Commission for the right to strike and you tell them exactly what kind of actions you're planning to take when you do strike. And even then, the employee can appeal to it and say, uh, no, this would be too disruptive. No, this would cost me too much money, that kind of stuff. And then you have to argue with the fair commission. And then if you're successful, you get given the right to strike for 90 days. And if you don't strike during those 90 days or the 90 days passes, you have to go back and apply again. Oh. And you can only apply in any case once you've got a majority of votes from your uh, members and it has to represent a majority of the members. So you have to get 50% plus one. And then uh, the employer can argue with you over the method by which you uh, ran that vote. So they could say, oh, we prefer a postal vote, which, of course, they love because people never read their mail, right? They love a postal vote. Mm-hmm. Um, and you can say, actually, we would prefer an in-person vote uh, where people mark a ballot sheet and they can say, oh, oh, if you have that in the lunchroom, it'll be too disruptive. And the Fair Commission's like, hmm, yes, disruptive, fascinating. Uh, Postal vote it is. And then, you know, the postal vote comes around, three weeks pass, and two people have filled out their letter and sent it back, and you don't get the numbers to strike. And, well, so look, that's just a very brief overview of how abysmally hard it is to strike in Australia. And if you strike without any of that permission, you risk personal fines as well as fines to the union. Um, And the personal fines can be like $10,000 or more. Um, So, you know, it's really good at making people not want to strike.
0: Well, it makes me think of like a parallel to um, to like protesting as well, where it seems like now in major cities, um, protests are all, all have to be organized in such a way that you have to like apply for a permit to protest in a particular place at a particular time. And you have to tell yep. the police how many people that are going to be there so that they know how many cops to have turn up and stand around you in a circle and, you know, how many horses to bring and all that sort of shit. And how long you're going to be there and then you have to finish up and fuck off at a particular time and everything and in both cases they you know it's very very clearly things where they've put this they've put this framework they've put this scaffolding around an action which in and of itself by design is intended to be both spontaneous and disruptive exactly um because the whole the whole point is that you know employers employers aren't they are supposed to be relatively taken by surprise by this stuff, or in the case of um in the case of other you know strikes that are centered on workplace safety, like yeah yeah you know, no, if, you you're, can't. if you're working on the floor somewhere, if you're working on a shop somewhere and you're saying to your employer, "There is a situation over here, and if you don't fix it, somebody's going to get killed, and they go, "Ah, oh, we'll get through it and get back to work." You know, should you, yeah. should you have the right to be able to say, everyone's just going to stop until you fix this or someone's going to get injured or die? Or should you have to wait for these very specific conditions in which you're allowed to protest? I will say that I believe anyone should be able to
3: go and strike at any time for any reason, particularly sympathy strikes, um, which are an incredibly powerful tool, which is why they got outlawed. Um, but I, I will add on the health and safety aspect that a lot of workers aren't aware that they can actually apply to become health and safety representatives on their work site. And you can do this any site, whether you're in office or whether you're on a factory floor, it doesn't matter. Um, this is a process that the union can help you through, but when you become a health and safety rep, which is a, an elected position amongst your group. So you have to actually stand for a tiny vote and a bunch of them say, yeah, this guy would be a good health and safety rep or nah, he's terrible. Um, but when you have that, uh, position, you actually have a bunch of powers under law to be able to order everyone to stop working if something's unsafe. And you can do that without being fired. You can do that without any fear from your boss, as long as you're acting in accordance with that legislation, which is quite easy to do. Like for example, if there's, you know, there's been times when uh, there was a chlorine gas leak at a chicken plant a couple of years back and our our health and safety reps just said, everyone get out, everyone get out now. And they evacuated the whole plant. Um, And they can do that because they have that power to say, this is an unsafe situation and I'm, I'm using my power to order everyone to stop working. And anyone can do this in any environment. Like if you're in an office and, you know, like you see uh, something sparking or you see an electrical fire happening, you can order everyone out. And as long as you're doing it, exercising your powers correctly as a health and safety representative, you can't be touched for it. There are massive penalties for interfering with the health and safety rep who's doing their job. Mm-hmm. Um, but a lot of people don't know about that and employers certainly don't wish to, uh, you know, make it public knowledge. Um, but if you are part of a union, Another great benefit to being part of a union is you can get them to walk you through that process legally and make it nice and safe, and they can give you union-approved training and, and you know get time off, paid time off for work to go to the training um, and that kind of stuff. And it makes for a huge amount of control over your workplace that you might not have had before. You can also do things like if you see unsafe machinery that's not immediately lethal, you can put what's called a, a, a PIN notice on it, which is a redundant acronym, but it stands for Provisional Improvement Notice notice Uh, and this is basically a a legal document which says you need to fix this and if you don't then fair work will be along within a week to order you to fix it and if you still don't fix it then you'll get a massive fine um and so that's and, and this is something a trained health and safety rep can do so there are a lot of ways that you can kind of use health and safety legislation to take control of your workplace um and and the union can help you do that and i certainly encourage anyone listening to step up and become a hsr Uh, For their workplace, because it does put you in a position where you can say, no, we're not doing that. Or, you know, I require consultation on this issue and that kind of stuff. And um, it's just a really good way of of pushing back a bit against that kind of tyranny in everyday workplace. That's
0: good to know. Uh, I am going to drag you all the way back to the West Virginia subject, though. Yes. uh, For a question from a friend of the show, Ankleburn, who asks... Uh, Considering the strikes happening in West Virginia at the moment, are we moving toward a landscape less focused on union membership and more focused on grassroots organization? In the case of West Virginia, everything seems to be coordinated constantly on a Facebook group as opposed to weekly meetings obeying a traditional hierarchy of representation, answering to each other democratically instead of to one union leader. Um, A difficult question. Certainly, I feel that,
3: yes, we are seeing a lot of things organized on Facebook um, and I think that's good, but I don't think it's going to be the way forward for the union movement as a whole. Uh, I think the union movement should definitely use Facebook to get its message out. Um, but in terms of grassroots organizing, that's something that has to happen offline. That's something that has to happen in the workplace. It has to happen in homes, in pubs, in restaurants, in secretive meetings between shifts, uh, You know, in the cleaning room. It has to happen in the workplace, uh, and and if we're going to rely on on digital organising, it doesn't have the same results in terms of building a support network. It's very useful, and I certainly encourage everyone to to use it to keep in touch. But my personal belief is that it will never be a substitute for real grassroots organising. It, it's definitely, I think, the old hierarchical method of having a quote unquote union boss, and the union boss tells you what's up uh and you just agree that's on the way out i definitely agree that's on the way out and i think the west virginia strike is is a great example of that and certainly the union bosses i know hate that you know they don't want that they want the workers to be fired up and telling them what to do the last thing they want is for everyone to be looking like they're dead and they just want to be told what the next thing to do is that that just demoralizing to any union boss they don't want that hierarchy they want workers to be fired up and angry and, and shouting at them
0: um is it like a worthwhile distinction to make that if you're talking about, for example, like teachers in West Virginia, then you're talking about, uh, you know, people that are spread out across the entire state. So, you know, however many teachers in however many schools all across the entire state and people are using, you know, uh, so you're talking about relative geographic remoteness from each other and everything as well. Mm, mm. Uh, as opposed to, say, if you're talking about... um other industries where you would potentially have hundreds of workers on a site who would all be able to get together for, for meetings about things and, you know, actually be able to have that physical proximity to each other as well. That's true. That's maybe, true. maybe that might be why people like that would be more prone to organizing uh, remotely like that. I think so.
3: I, I think that's a very good point. And I think, you know, I certainly don't have any experience organizing in the, the teachers area. I have a good friend of mine is an is NTU delegate and, you know um it's certainly a very different environment to to what i'm used to organizing in um and look yeah i think facebook is useful for bridging that geographical gap but um what i would say at the end of the day is that at, you're going to need teachers to go and band together and they have been showing up in public together and stuff like that um and it's but it's when they show up in public together and they really bring that physical force on mass to a location Mm. that's when they get the media coverage that's when they get the results that's when they're able to block physically block access to buildings um and that's when you can't be ignored that's when you can't be ignored and and certainly you should use facebook to organize that um although you know increasingly i feel like big social media are going to become hostile to industrial activity um uh, due to pressure from government and from from police but I think you should use Facebook to organize that, but I think the end result of any organization should be getting people together in one location to use their people power en masse to physically demonstrate that they can't be ignored. Um,
0: Oh, I'm having a little little spark in my brain just now of remembering... So there, there were like a handful of people who were protesting during Donald Trump's inauguration Um, like obviously there were a lot of people protesting, but there were, there were people who got arrested and I'm pretty sure that the cops wound up requesting, um, that Facebook give them access to these people's messages that they exchanged in a private, uh, Facebook group. Um, in which they had organized the protest these were the people who had like organized the whole thing and told everybody where to go and when and all that sort of stuff yeah and, yeah, yeah. and the cops were then using that as part of their their trial um, yeah. for these for these protesters so it is probably worth pointing out that at the end of the day uh, Facebook is not your friend Twitter is not your friend uh, all those companies will sell you the fuck out to the government in a second they will they will throw you under the bus and and you know, I think we gotta be
3: aware of that. Like, especially how hostile these tech giants are to unionizing inside their own companies. Like Yeah, true. You know, that they're not um they're not our friends. Um I I did wanna point something out um before we move away from the West Virginia strike, and that is to say there's a really good article. Um I'll if with your indulgence, Andrew, you can put it perhaps in the show notes, but it's from the Economic Policy Institute. Mm-hmm. And it's about uh the fair share fees that the Union Movement is actually fighting over. And if anyone's interested in not only a really good overview of what, of the the base, the very real existential threat the US uh, union movement is facing, but also where all the money to fund these cases is coming from. This article is just a really good, like it's it's done a really good job tracking back all the money and you can see that, you know, the same dozen like conservative and libertarian think tanks have basically been funding all these uh, court cases over the years to slowly and surely destroy the union movement. It's very worth reading and I'll I'll pass you the link later and you can perhaps put it in the show notes. I will
0: definitely do that. Uh, so we have a we have another question here, which is on a theme that we've received multiple questions about, but we didn't get into last time you were on. Um, so friend of the show, TBR, which I'm choosing to interpret as tea break Because <laughs> it's, you know, a bit, of, a bit of HTML joke there, maybe. What,
1: uh, very, very Andrew Thank of you. you.
0: Uh, And they say, uh, hey, online, which is a disconcerting way to refer to us collectively. "Um, I was motivated to look into unionizing by that episode. Good news. Mm. But my turgid, throbbing bone for workers' rights deflated when I found out I was best covered by the SDA. Uh, Now, could could you just tell us what the SDA stands for sure so the SDA is the uh,
3: shop and distributive alliance Um, I'm pretty sure I got that right but the the important point is the SDA is the union for retail work in Australia Um, the SDA is the largest union in Australia on paper that is an important point to note they have 200,000 members or more than that and which makes them by any anyone's measure the largest union in Australia
0: their questions are why are the shoppies so bad Are they deliberately evil as they seem or merely inept? Is there an alternative for the humble hospo that doesn't involve throwing money into a bin fire? How can the SDA redeem themselves? Can they be redeemed? Please rekindle my hope to join the workers' paradise. This feels
3: like a Dorothy uh, Dixer question. Is the minister aware (laughs) of any alternative policies? Well, yes, I am, tea break. Thank you very much. Um, First thing I would say is yes, there is an alternative, uh, and it's called the Retail and Fast Food Workers Union or RAFWU. I encourage you to look it up R A F F W U. Um, Great. Yeah, it is a great name. name. Um, And the RAFWU was basically created uh, in direct opposition to the SDA by disgruntled former SDA workers who had been ripped off and abused by the SDA and who wanted actual representation at work. Um, Why is the SDA so reviled? Uh, The answer is because the SDA doesn't do any of the things a union should do, and in fact does the opposite. Uh, A union should be an aggressive defender of workers' rights. The SDA instead has uh, signed cosy deals with Coles and Woolworths and McDonald's and other retail chains, and uh, basically does nothing to defend its workers. Uh, The SDA, sorry, a a union should be um, aggressively fighting for better pay the SDA actually signs deals which reduce workers' pay uh, to the point where mm. they are overturned by the Fair Work Commission for being illegal. Um, uh, in very famous case, the SDA stitched up a deal with Coles. Um, that deal was later ruled two years later to be illegal by the Fair Work Commission after several Coles employees, but most uh, notably a trolley operator in Queensland called Duncan Hart, um, took... Because they're party to the agreement, they were able to file a dispute for it in the Fair Work Commission, and and they were able to prove quite conclusively that this deal actually left the huge swathe of the workforce worse off than if they were just on the minimum wage. Um, And so that's the sort of work that the SDA does. Uh, They knew that that deal would leave people worse off. That's very important to understand here. They admitted that in court. They knew it. Um, and, and they were forced to repeal the deal, uh, and it was overturned. And now, legally speaking, that deal never existed. That's that's the legal fact. Um, it never existed, never came into force. It was completely repealed. And um, all the other like places like Woolworths and stuff are watching very closely to see what happens next with Coles. Um, but certainly I can also tell you from my own personal experience that the union that I work for, the Meat Workers Union, we also represent Coles Butchers and we asked the sda uh, to leave the butchers alone because they they could also claim coverage of these butchers because they work in the grocery stores the sda said of course we'll leave them alone not a problem they've been yours for decades we won't touch them and then of course they turned around and did exactly the opposite of that and they signed a deal with Coles that covered the butchers and basically stole them from us this is uh, you know poaching is the term you would use inside a union movement they poached our workers Ooh. And in doing so, they gave all future Coles butchers an enormous pay cut that that we calculated to be anywhere up to $15,000 a year. So previously, Coles butchers were on really good rates because they were very militant and they went on strike. And Coles had to come back and say, okay, you can have fantastic rates if you want. Please stop going on strike. Uh, And then the SDA came in and they gave them, frankly, appalling rates uh, which amounted to a huge pay cut, and and the again the meat workers union has been very angry about that, and, and we have very vocally criticised and attacked the SJ on a number of occasions, even protesting outside their offices, um, because we were convinced that this deal had to be illegal, and we were very happy and vindicated to find out
0: it was several years later. Um, it's a, it's not a great look as a as a union to have other unions. No, it's not you a good look. Saying what the fuck? Are oh, you it's doing? also not a good
3: look to be out there, you know, uh, funnelling your union workers funds into campaigns against marriage equality, um, which is something else the SDA does. So like, I think last time on the podcast, Jeez. we talked about how there were some right wing unions but they were few and far between the SDA is one of them. Uh, politically speaking, the SDA is very right wing. They back the right wing labor faction. They are very conservative oh. on, um, on, on political issues like marriage equality and they pour all their money into stuff like that. Um, even though they represent a workforce which is overwhelmingly uh, young people and overwhelmingly women, uh, the sort of people who would be very interested in voting for marriage equality, statistically speaking, um, they pour their money into fighting against it. Um, they really are a, a very shocking union um, and they don't do the stuff that a union should do. Like they've never gone on strike. Yeah, the idea of Coles workers going on strike or whatever is it's just never going to happen because they're not that kind of union. They're very much about um, keeping their membership high by being cozy with Coles and Woolworths, like you know, Coles and Woolworths actually go out there and say, "Here's the union, feel free to join." You never get that, you know. That that's wrong. That should not happen. The boss should mm-hmm. never say. Here's the union. I love the union. Please join the union. That should never happen if the union's doing its job right. Well, um,
0: and but well, yeah, I found I found myself thinking when you were saying before that uh, a, a union should be an antagonist to the employer, not. A uh, yeah,
3: I mean the interests are mutually exclusive. You know, they want to keep their money so they can have a higher profit, and the union wants to take their money because it belongs to the workers. Like those two cannot be reconciled. Um, but the SDA doesn't doesn't do that. They're, and you know, like they are. Uh, the, I mean, there's a reason that senior figures in the Liberal government call the SDA the very model of a trade union. Um, and, and, like, oh, that's God. that's why. So that's a very short overview of the SDA. Um, and certainly anyone who is interested in, you know, uh, being covered by a different union, I would encourage them to check out the Retail and Fast Food Workers Union because they are doing some incredible work. Uh, they have actually... Uh, they've, they're like a ferocious attack dog in the Fair Work Commission. They have been applying to tear up a number of horrible agreements. They destroy the Domino's Agreement for Domino's drivers. Um, They are now a party on uh, Woolworths and Coles negotiations, Uh, and they've just been absolutely muscling their way into the scene, and their membership is super affordable, and um, I I really encourage everyone to check it out. The one thing I would say, and this is kind of important but kind of not, is that the Retail and Fast Food Workers Union is technically not a union. Um, It's not registered with the Council of Trade Unions. It's not what's called a registered organization under the act. That means it doesn't have some of the same powers as unions. It can represent you legally and it can represent you during bargaining, but a retail and fast food workers union can't, for example, muscle its way into a worksite under right of entry legislation and say, nah, can't keep me out, gov. Um, They can't do that because they're not formally a union and, and only those rules only apply to unions. Whereas the SDA is formally a union under the law but they just don't take advantage of those things because they have such a cozy relationship with the bosses. So that's something to be aware of. I don't think it changes what I, I really encourage everyone to join because they're doing an incredible job and, and they're really, yeah, you know, I just can't speak highly enough of the retail and fast food workers union. They're, they're doing an incredible job and they very strongly come out and said, we won't be trading on any other unions turf, um, even though they have significant overlap, but they refuse to do it because they respect those boundaries. Mm.
0: There you go, folks. Join the RAFWU and tear up your SDA membership.
3: Oh, the other question was, can the RAF, can the SDA be saved? Um, I, do, I do want to say if there are any SDA members listening, that there are a lot of young SDA members who are really angry and really progressive and very upset at, at the conservative leadership of their union. And they're doing some good stuff internally to try and tear that down. Um, and so, so, you know, shout out to those guys. I know they exist. I've met some of them at conferences and I think they're on the right track, but You know the the problem is that the leadership of the SDA has really has a stranglehold on things, and they've been there for a long time. And you know it's going to take a significant concern; they're going to have to be leave it out like a barnacle, and it's going to be difficult. Hmm.
0: Uh, So we've got another question here. Friend of the show, Chris Didonna asks. He says, "I'm looking forward to hearing what Drome thats Tim, everybody on uh, Twitter—has turned up as far as workers' co-ops go," and Connor Stokes wife of the show uh, says that he too is looking forward to that um, we, we did very briefly touch on this uh, when going through letters in a previous show um, except that our, our answer pretty much extended to us saying uh, we think they're good wherever you can involve uh, employees, they're still good decisions get in on it uh, but we would like to know if you have, have a more nuanced take on uh, how you feel about worker co-ops. Is that the ideal state of workplaces?
3: I think it's as close to an ideal as we can imagine in the current vocabulary we have under capitalism. Um, And I I think what I mean by that is that we might get a better idea in the future. But right now, uh, I think it's a very accessible goal. Um, The reason that I think worker co-ops are so exciting is because it's a way of combating the alienation that we all feel about our work. You know, we don't own the products of our work. We're not involved in the decision-making. We don't have any say in what's made, how it's made, where it's made, who it's sold to, what they do with it. Uh, Yet we have to go there every day, make products, add value to a company, and then leave again. We're alienated from, from the products of our labor. That's the, that's the Marxist terminology. Um, and worker co-ops are hugely different because, it's you make those decisions, you decide what to make, you decide when to make it, you decide how much to make, you decide what to sell it for, and, and you get the profits at the end of the day because you're splitting it evenly with everyone else. Um, I've been, if anyone's interested in worker co-ops, um, I would encourage you to check out uh, one particular podcast, uh, which is called Economic Update. It's an extremely US-based podcast, but it's by um, Professor Richard Wolf, who is a Marxist economics oh. professor in the US. Uh, he is an uh, extremely cool dude. Um, it's pretty dry stuff, but it's very, very compelling and really informative. And, and um, Wolf heads up what's called the Democracy at Work uh, Collective, and they quite literally are about democratizing the workplace. And so often this podcast has a lot of guests on it who talk about their experience in starting co-ops or their experience in managing co-ops or developing software for co-ops and that kind of stuff. Um, so that's been really informative for me in, in in shaping how I think about co-ops. And certainly I encourage anyone to to check that out. Um, I'll send you some links and you can pop them in the show notes if you like. But um, really good stuff and it's out every week and it's just really, really good. Um, there's something interesting. This this show actually had uh, an interview with the developer of this software. I don't know, but There's some software called um, Lumio, which is really cool. And it's basically open source, uh, like co-op management software. About decision making um, across a collective and, and scaling up across lots of people and providing everyone with a really easy way to raise issues and discuss issues mm-hmm. and resolve them and vote for them uh run out of your own cooperative and that's something i've been reading a lot about lately and, and thinking that's like a really cool way forward because you know it's a kind of emerging of the best of our uh workplace which is cooperatives with the, the best of our uh, latest technology which is you know distributed decision making and i think it's super cool so that's that's some stuff about co-ops that's been on my mind lately uh, there's not a lot of good resources out there for how to turn your workplace into a co-op or how to start a co-op that's i've seen some in the US but i think the australian co-op movement is still a bit in getting off the ground um, but i think you know definitely that's something i've been on the on the lookout for is is you know more information on that and i think more and more like capitalists will be wanting to fund co ops in the future because I think that's a bad idea. Like, just to be clear, I don't, I don't think capitalists should be funding anything, but I think it's very easy to convince people to hand you money when you're a co op because you have all the skills, you just need a bit of money to get off the ground. And that's very different to, you know, um when you're a large company and you say, I have a lot of money, but I don't have any skills you know, a bank can easily see a, a way forward there to help
0: you out. And I think we'll be seeing more banks lending towards co-ops and stuff like that in the future, and I think that's very cool. Well, it's funny that you say that because the last time you were on, one of the things that we talked about was the really uh, low rate of unionization in, like, particularly in sort of tech fields and, like, video game developers, startups, yeah, small yeah, yeah. studios, that kind of thing. Um, and it did make me wonder when we were talking about this recently... Uh, it might have even been when we got that uh, question on a previous show um, about whether or not um, any of those sorts of workplaces, like startups and small game dev studios and that sort of thing, because the the sort of stereotypical picture of those workplaces is uh, you know relatively small, you know, probably less than fifteen people, um, mm-hmm. and more often than not, people kind of being asked to um people being asked to you know work hard and put a lot of themselves into a job in the hopes that they can create success together collectively um but more often than not that's all kind of you know they'll they'll have one one person who's funded the business or they've they've got some backing from someone financially uh and then they bring people along and don't pay them that much and kind of ask them to put a lot of heart and soul into a thing in the hopes that they'll get successful and then all share in the profit. And the sharing the profit part generally doesn't happen. Um, yeah, but yeah, yeah, it makes me wonder if that kind of workplace could potentially be be quite, um, you know, ripe for that sort of that sort of action or that sort of conversion. Even if it is in the in the form that you're talking about of it being funded yeah, by a bank yeah. or by someone else, like getting the funding from somewhere else as opposed to it having to come from. Uh, you know, like the rich guy. Yeah, the rich guy who is the boss of your studio. Exactly. Um, whether or not it's, it would be more reasonable to kind of get together a, a group of, say, game devs or web developers or whatever and say, hey, we have all the skills here to do this thing. If we get a bit of backing, we can do it like that. Organize it to make decisions collectively, share profits, that kind of stuff. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, I think the democracy
3: angle is a really good angle when you're talking to the tech crowd. Um, because broadly speaking, the tech crowd lean like kind of libertarian or liberal um, and and a really good way of kind of encouraging union discussion among that is to point out how undemocratic the workplace is Um, because, you know, like we discussed on the last episode, like people in that kind of crowd think they're the captains of industry and they're just waiting around, you know, to to get the perfect opportunity to to get their own startup off the ground and make a million dollars. But um, when you really broach that subject of how the workplace is fundamentally a tyranny and they don't have any control, that's kind of shocking to them to, to hear it voiced in that way. Um, and, and I think it's because they value that control so highly, the co-op is, is a really good way of saying, you know, like, this is how you can get involved. This speaks to the principles that you believe so strongly in freedom of expression, you know, freedom of choice, um, you know, the best you, if you if you want the best you can have in a workplace then you need to get on board with this and i and i believe that the democracy angle
0: is a really good one
3: yeah for breaking into that sort of crowd mm. and none i've had
0: success with that in the well, past well i mean we've only got to look at the examples of um of like the sort of tech crowd trying to every every couple of years someone'll try to um someone'll try to you know do the the tech startup treatment to voting everyone should should vote with oh, that app yeah. and all that kind of shit hey theo let me Let me throw a concept at you here. Having worked with this type of person in the past, I'm willing to bet that you maybe have encountered people in your workplaces who um, are constantly bitching about the way things are happening in their workplace because some dumb manager made a decision when them and several other developers know that really the right way to do this thing or to build this thing would be X or Y.
2: Well, wouldn't you know that I have just that experience? I mean, I think everyone, everyone definitely has. I don't think that's special to 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 tech as well. I mean, you go, every, um, what's what's the law that everyone's eventually promoted to the level of their incompetence? So oh, the Peter Principle. The Peter Principle. Um. So you know, every, everyone knows that that it's not a meritocracy. Um. So yeah, I mean, I think. I think this is definitely uh, a good way to sell it. Um, with with tech people particularly, just tell them the co-op votes are on the blockchain. They'll fucking eat that shit up uncritically.
0: <laughs> oh, God, yes. Oh, dear. Um, all right, we, we have another question here. Um, now, there has been a, a very large merger of trade unions um, in Australia very, very recently. Um, hasn't it, between... Uh, so, a friend of the show, Travis Jordan, writes, uh, what is the reason behind TCFUA joining the CFMEU slash MUA merger and not merging with the AMWU, which seems like a more natural sector ally? Could you please, uh, for the benefit of our listeners, just break down these various unions for a second, the TCFUA? Uh, that's the textiles, clothing, footwear,
3: and uh, I don't remember... Uh,
0: Alliance. Uh, United, sorry. United artists. Sorry. Sorry, United Arts. The people who make the James Bond films. There we go. Uh, that's right. Joining the. The James Bond
3: directors <laughs> uh, and CFMU and the MUA emerging. And frankly, it's a match made in heaven, and I can't
0: wait to see what yes, they. Do. I can't wait to see what the executors of um, Albert Broccoli's estate do with these textile factories. Um, joining the CFMU.
3: Uh, that's the Construction, Forestry, Mining and Energy Union. And the MUA. That's the Maritime Union of Australia.
0: Uh-huh. And not merging with the AMWU. Uh, which is the Australian Manufacturing Workers Union. Mm-hmm. Which seems like a more natural sector ally to the TCFUA, according to Travis. Well, Travis, I have no
3: fucking clue, is the answer. Um, they don't keep me up to date on their business, and frankly, they're not obliged to. Uh, no, um, look, the CFMU has had some overlap with textiles for a while. Um, they have a, a textile division. Um, they, they do, the CFMU is already an amalgamation of a lot of unions. The CFMU is, is the Katamari ball of unions. Um, it has rolled downhill over the years and picked up a lot of other unions in its wake. And and that's why they have been as powerful and strong as they are also because they're insanely militant and they don't take anyone's shit. Um, and I have a lot of respect for that. Um, but that is why they've chosen to, to hook up with the CFMU is because they have an existing relationship. Basically. That's my understanding of it. Um, if anyone out there from those two unions knows differently, I'm probably wrong. It's, it's not my area of expertise, but I do believe that the CFMU has some existing coverage in that area. So that's why they've hooked up. Um, as to why the CFMU and the MUA have hooked up. um, That is, I think that is mostly a merger of the fact that they are two of Australia's largest remaining unions and they see strategic value in joining together. And, you know, uh, ultimately the Fair Work Commission had to approve that because the Liberals are unable to get laws
0: passed stopping them. They tried, but it didn't work. Now, Travis submitted um, what can only be described as a shitload of questions. Um, but we do not quite have time to get through.
1: Can I answer a question? Oh, can I answer a question? Yeah, which that I have completely uninformed on. Just just throw one at me.
0: Oh, okay. Um, mm, uh, mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
1: Throw me a very specific question, and I'll do my best. <laughs> Here we go. Number
0: three. Uh, <laughs> Hell yeah. Oh, number three of these. Ones. What what sort of events should trade halls be running to engage younger peoples and general activists in union activities?
1: Um. Swingers parties. Mm. <laughs> Next question.
2: I was going to say gamer streams. They, they could engaged. do gamer
1: streams. They could do land parties, uh, game streams, uh, swingers parties mixed with land parties.
3: <laughs> yeah, that's true. Now you're. Talking. I agree with all of this. Absolutely. Now you
1: can throw this over to Tim. I just, I just wanted to contribute.
3: No, Lucy. Look, you're doing a great job, and frankly, I'm happy to step back <laughs> and uh, let you field all of these questions. Uh, let a women Just let, let a women woman take talk. the mic.
0: Stand up and step back, men. <laughs> mm. So, uh, well, what I what I want to do is just uh, throw you one more question, but then leave you a couple of minutes at the end uh, to to run us through a little bit of process. Yes, uh, sorry my solo number. So let's let's knock this one off nice and quick uh, from friend of the show, Tim Bennett. Hey, Tim, how you doing? Um, good thanks a lot of tims too many tims uh tim says in the past unions have achieved annual leave maternity leave overtime pay and uniform allowances among many other things what is next for unions broader inclusion of domestic violence leave
3: yes actually it's extremely is um the the actu is running the we won't wait campaign which is calling for uh the addition of 10 days domestic violence leave to the national employment standards which will make it law and make it impossible for you to get rid of it or reduce it in any contracts at your workplace. Um, that's super fucking cool. Uh, I hugely agree with that. And, and I think domestic violence leave is, is definitely one of the next battlefronts for the union movement as a whole. Um, very proud to say that we achieved three days paid domestic violence leave on a recent contract that we negotiated at an ice cream factory we represent. Um, that was a huge win. That was very popular. Um, that was a joint operation with the AMW, the Manufacturing Workers Union, who also have coverage in the area. And together we pushed very hard for um, three days at domestic violence leave and we got it. So very cool. Um, as to what's next for the union movement as a whole, um, my, personal, uh, my personal hope for the union movement uh, is to draw inspiration from what I'm seeing in Germany at the moment, which is uh, a, just briefly... Um, Germany's largest metalworking union, um, IG Metall. I can't remember if that's the correct pronunciation because I'm not German, but they've been running a campaign to reduce the working week to uh, 28 hours. Oh yeah. Um, and that is fucking amazing. A- and the reason they're able to do that is because they have so many members. You know, they have so many members. Like the unionization in Germany and in Europe is, is off the chart compared to here. Um, they have so many members that they're able to say, Uh, And then the economy is so good as well that they're able to say to employers, look, we want to be able to, we want to make it the law that our workers be allowed to drop back to 28 hours a week or 20 hours a week. Or I can't remember the exact number, but I believe it was 28. Um, And they should not be affected adversely for that. And they should be allowed to do that for, I think two years if they want to, and you have to keep them employed. Um, And that is like, yes, holy shit. Yes. Like that's so fucking good. Um, You know, just like the idea that that union has got to the point that this IG Metal union has so many members and so much power that it's got to the point. It is saying, listen, you deserve 10 more hours to yourself a week because you're a human being and you have basic needs and dignity. You deserve that time and society will function without you being a wage slave for 10 more hours. Like, and we will protect you while you make that transition. Like, wow, that's so cool. That that genuinely makes me just so excited. Um, And and so that's the sort of thing I want to see or that I hope to see from the union movement in Australia and from the world is is to get to the point where we're able to push back and say, actually, I'm a human being with a finite lifespan and I don't want to spend 40 hours a week at your workplace making profit for you. Uh, I actually deserve time for myself to spend in my family, to have hobbies to take care of my animals, to whatever it is you want to do. But you deserve that time because you're a human being and you have rights. Uh, and, and so that's super exciting to me to see that kind of stuff. So that's what I hope is next for the union movement. But I think the domestic violence leave is incredible uh, and a great
0: start. Well, um, similarly to that line, they, they just passed a law in South Korea Uh Changing what was their commonly accepted uh, working week of sixty-eight hours um, 68. to a to like a legally mandated maximum oh of God. fifty-two. I didn't know about that. That's astonishing. Sixty-eight uh, hours. Yeah, no. Apparently, apparently, they just have an like an insane like post post eighties nineties boom. Uh, they just had an insane like workaholic culture, um, and collectively as a country, they've said, "Hey, uh, it turns out everybody's." work-life balance is completely fucked and it's really bad for everybody. So let's chop a bunch off that. So I hope they keep going in that direction. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, wow. So the last thing we wanted to just get you to, to quickly run us through is just the, the brief outline of if you are in your workplace and you do want to unionize, um, how, how does one go about that? Great question, Andrew.
3: Thank you for asking. Um, so yeah, look, uh, this advice is pretty Australian specific, first of all. But, you know, if you're in another country, the process will be pretty much identical with just some different names and obviously check with your union. Um, But let's say that you're in a workplace and you're on the award rate, which is the minimum legal rate for your industry, and you've had enough, you're sick of it, you want to change it and the next step is to figure out how. Um, So first off, join your union, which presumably you've done because that's the starting point of any any particular unionization. But what you're aiming to do is establish what's called an enterprise bargaining agreement for your site. And that covers all of the people at your site. And that establishes that you have to be paid more than the award. And it also establishes all sorts of nice terms and conditions that essentially can be whatever you like as long as you and your employer agree to them. Um, And the way that you go about getting that is by joining the union and then signing up more and more people inside your workplace to the union. Ideally, you want to be looking at about fifty percent of the workplace. That's a strong number. That's a good starting point. If you've got less than fifty percent, you can start, but really you want to be getting about the fifty percent critical mass is when you start to wield majority power and you can make the Fair Commission do what you want. So once you have enough members, you go to your boss and you say, "Look, I want to start bargaining for an agreement for this worksite." And the boss has two options. If it's a smart boss, they'll say, sure, sounds great. If it's a boss who doesn't give a shit and is very hostile, they say, nope. And you say, okay. And if the boss says, yes, that's great. You begin bargaining. You know, you form a committee. You get the union in to advise you on what you can and can't do. You sign off on the agreement, job done. But the reality is that most bosses don't want to do that. Um, So you have no choice but to go down the avenue of what's called a majority support determination what this is is essentially just saying hey fair work commission we want to bargain but the boss says we can't but look there's a majority of us who want to bargain so can you please force them to bargain by law thank you very much and in order to do that it's kind of a long drawn out process but and that's why it's important to get the union involved because there's a lot of paperwork and you have to do it right but basically you all sign a petition you submit it to the fair work commission and the fair work commission reviews the signatures and says okay yes this this i agree that a majority of workers want to bargain. And just for your for clarification, a majority in this case means 50% plus one. Uh, and they say, okay, I'm now going to force the, the employer to bargain with you. I'm going to give legally binding orders saying they have to bargain with you. Uh, and that will force the employer to sit down and begin bargaining with you and you can actually start having that discussion. Um, that doesn't mean you're guaranteed a result because bargaining doesn't mean an outcome. It just means that you're actually talking. But that's the first step. Once you're actually in that bargaining process, then you have the power to do things like go on strike and that kind of stuff, which you can't do until you're formally in that bargaining process. That's why it's so important in Australia to, to have that. But what I'm essentially saying is if you want to unionize at your work site, the first step is to start recruiting other people. You can't do it on your own. You, I mean, that's the basic tenet of unionism, isn't it? You can't, you can't do it on your own. So you need to start recruiting other people. And when you have about that 50% critical mass, Which, you know, if you're doing all that recruiting on your own, the union organizer will love you forever. Um, When you get about that 50% critical mass, that's when you can start really trying to agitate for an agreement for the work site. Uh, And that will allow you to bargain. And, And usually that will involve much better rates than what you're being paid. That will involve extra days off, that kind of stuff. It's all the stuff that you can put in. Like if you think of something you'd like at your workplace, you can just throw it in there and the employer can agree to it. Um, anything in an enterprise agreement is legal as long as it's not worse than the award which is to say worse than the minimum wage Um, so you can put in whatever you like in there and it will be legally binding but you won't get it unless you have the numbers on the ground to pull it off and that's why it's so important that if you want to unionize your work site you have to start by recruiting other people to join the union uh, and inviting the union to come in and that kind of stuff and the union can come in you know like if, if they know you want there if they know that there's a movement at the site activity, they'll be there because they'll, they'll know that that's, you know, a, a place where the action is happening. Um, but once you start getting that about that 50% number, you can really start to make things happen at your work site. So there you go. That's a, that's a pretty brief overview of how you go about transitioning from individual contracts or some kind of award rate to a really good bargaining agreement that covers your entire site. It's all about, you know, grassroots organizing, getting those numbers and then using those numbers to force the employer to bargain with you, so you can get what you want.
2: Oh, and um, and go and check out your award as well. I think a lot of people aren't actually may not be familiar with um what their award is, um, what it actually gives you. Yeah. Um, uh, because I know for, for for you know my my case at one point um, they had to negotiate uh, not paying me overtime because you know I was getting paid X percent above the award and you might go well actually no I think that puts me in a worse position like old mate um, uh, the, the trolley worker um, did in the in the Coles case. Um, so it's, it's not it's not yep. that hard it's not I would say they're not very confusing um, documents um, and it would be worthwhile everyone reading them.
3: Yeah, all the awards are freely available on the Fair Work Commission website. So you can just Google. And if you're not sure what industry you're in, um, you know, then, then you can really ask your union to help you and figure out what the, what the right thing is. Um, but it's generally pretty easy to figure out. So the way it works in Australia is that if you're in a specific industry, you're probably covered by the award for that industry. And there are a lot of them and they're quite broad. But if you're not in a specific industry, uh, you're covered by the National Employment Standards, which is the very minimum wage. That's the worst, worst tier of Australian wages, but most people are on an award rate. Um, and then if you're on an individual contract, then that's better, but it's still bad because you want to be on a collective contract. So you have that collective strength.
0: Excellent. And, um, oh, and how do you, how do you find out what union you should be joining?
3: Uh, so you take a smooth stone and you take it to the edge of the lake and you uh, throw it in and you uh, offer a prayer and someone will come out of the lake and Excellent. whisper the name of your union to you. Or you can go to australianunions.org.au and just have a look there. Just ask them. They'll tell you. Try the lake thing. It works every time. So good. Do
0: the lake thing first. Use the website as a fallback. Yeah. So, that brings us to the end of our show. Uh, Thank you very much again, Tim, for joining us. You're very welcome. Thank Thank you for having me.
1: I just want to say that I I agree with everything Tim said for this whole episode.
2: Yeah, it rules having a smart person (laughs) on the show. Yeah. that I'm really, things. I'm really not very smart.
3: I'm just a dumb idiot, former like game developer who fell into this job and is now just angry all the time. I'm really. There are some really intelligent people out there in the union movement, and uh, it does me a disservice
0: to label me with that.
3: But oh, thank well, you. you're among still friends. the smartest
1: one on here. <laughs>
0: uh, so yeah, you can catch Tim on uh, Twitter at Burgerdrome. So if you have additional questions, harass him, harass him endlessly. Yeah, dox me um, if you have. Yep. If you have weird weird questions, um, weird unsettling questions, send those to Theo. He loves them. Uh, and if you, if you want any extra bonus episodes, for example, we just recorded a bonus episode in which we have um, answered a bunch of relationship questions from Reddit. If mm. you would like to catch mm. that this week, uh, head on over to Patreon, patreon.com slash vista. You can get yourself signed up for some bonus material. Or hey, if you want to sling us a few bucks, just to support the show, just to send us those virtual kisses, uh, you can do that too. And that is it. That is it for us, everybody. Uh, Thanks very much for joining us, and we'll see everybody next week. Bye-bye. Thank you. Cheers. Bye.